reading from the fourth chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, commonly called Galatians. I'm going to read a little bit more than what was sent out to you in your worship bulletin. I'm going to read 1 through 8. Actually, 1 through 9. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I would hope, (laughs) I would hope that our resounding answer to Paul's last question is, heck no! I don't want to be enslaved by sin and death again. Anybody want to volunteer for that? Can you think back to that time when you were most miserable in your life? Everybody's got one. Every last person. If you hadn't had one yet, let me promise you, it's coming. And it's in those moments often that God is most able to get our attention. And draw us into the lives of other people or other people into our lives who speak the truth to us that God can be known to us. That we can know the heart of God. And be set free from sin and death. The slavery to it. The oppression of it. The burden of it. The weight of it. I mean, honestly, is there anything worse in this world than feeling guilty and not being able to do a thing to make it better? Guilt has to be the worst of the human experiences. Very often when we do things that are going to make us feel guilty, we feel justified in doing them in the moment, right? When we're angry. Jesus said something to the effect that when we're angry or or when we speak from our, our heart, that emotional seat, when we're angry and when we yell murder, that that's truly what is in us. That we should pay attention to those things. I think about times when I've said to someone that they didn't matter to me anymore or times when I have said to someone that I didn't want to see them anymore and and those times still grieve the heart. Do they not? Do broken relationships not haunt us in many ways? When we failed someone or even failed ourselves? 
We find ourselves enslaved to a kind of darkness, a kind of burden and a weight that we can't remove on our own. So people lifted up the mantra, time heals all wounds. You ever heard that one? It heals until somebody else reminds you of the wound. I've had an interesting experience with my trigeminal neuralgia this year. Most of the time, I don't experience it anymore. You know, the thing I told you all about several years ago where my, this side of my face is tingly all the time. Corner of my mouth feels wet. Right now, it's tingly. The corner of my mouth feels wet. Let me wipe that. <laughs> if I don't think about it, it's not there. Guilt is the same way. Guilt meets us when we're sitting in the quiet places of our lives, when we're pondering our past. And very often, for Christians, our experiences that we think about how we are now versus who we were then, and we can see that we have done this miraculous thing that we call matured. Has anyone ever called you much more mature than you were in the past? Has anyone ever told you, you know, you've really turned out to be a pretty decent man. I had my thoughts about you early on. I love it when people say to me, you're a preacher now? I didn't see that coming. (laughs) Tried to avoid it. That guilt hangs there. And Paul has also said in another place that the law was given to us in some ways to help us to see our guilt before God. To help us to see that we have abandoned holiness. That we have followed in the path of Adam and Eve and our forefathers who have chosen to serve other things or to serve themselves instead of serving the living God. Instead of knowing God. I've always been fascinated by this one little place in the Gospel of John where Jesus says eternal life is this and it doesn't have golden streets. A mansion in heaven doesn't follow. Bliss doesn't follow. He says this simple little phrase, knowing you. In his prayer to God, eternal life is this, knowing God. How about that? Eternal life, the greatest gift that we say God has given to us sometimes. Jesus says is actually knowing God, which means that knowing God must then be the greatest gift that God has given us. And that is God's purpose for the Christmas story. I wonder, did you hear that? When Paul is talking about about God's purpose here. He says that all of us at one time were like little children who, who were part of a household but were slaves to our taskmasters. We were watched over by a babysitter, a harsh babysitter whose intention was to keep us until we came of age. And that's how he describes the first five books of your Bibles. The law, the Ten Commandments is how we often sum it up. Or as Jesus summed it up, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. The law. That that's what God expected of God's people, but they constantly turned away from it. The law was given to them as a babysitter, a teacher, a taskmaster to teach them how to live with God. But they and we failed with that. How do we know we failed at that? Because we've experienced guilt. I think the Holy Spirit works through guilt. It's that conviction that we know that we've done something that has poisoned not only our relationship with God, 
but our relationship with someone else. And the hurt that comes from that has no source of healing other than Christ. And so Paul says, we were once little children dominated by a babysitter, held in place by a babysitter that made us feel bad sometimes about who we are. Dee Dee Honeycutt used to babysit us some when we were little. My brain fog just hit again. <laughs> COVID fog. I'll tell you, I'm tired of that. Dee Dee McDaniel used to babysit us when she was Dee Dee Honeycutt when I was a kid. She was always kind. Never had that experience of a bad babysitter. But I've had the experience of knowing that someone's purposes for me weren't good, haven't you? When someone says to you, I didn't mean it, but you know it's not true. That they suddenly feel guilty about what they said to you or did to you, so they, they prop up that I didn't mean it thing. Somebody nod. Alright. Because otherwise, I'll just have to keep unpacking that and it will get boring. I had an experience like that when I was a kid. There was a German shepherd who lived on our street on Walk Rockwood Drive. I'm sure the dog was sweet to its owners, but that dog was malicious to us. He didn't seem to like it when we would come up to the fence and want to play with him, you know? He always tried to get us through the fence or something, and then one day, somehow he managed to get out. And of course, I don't remember how he got out. If he came through an opening in the fence or jumped it or whatever, I don't remember. But all I remember is that all of us took off down the street. And that joker was after us. And we just knew he was going to get us. So we decided we were going to get even with him. So, a couple days later, we all trucked down to the driveway there. And I remember there was this old green Oldsmobile parked in the driveway. And in this like eight foot tall chain link fence, it was probably four feet. But I was a kid, remember? And we decided we were going to throw rocks over the fence and, and hit the dog with the rocks because he deserved it. Because he chased us. Now don't be sending me letters about throwing rocks at church. I know it was wrong. All boys throw rocks. Yeah. Didn't hit anybody. Well, we didn't hit the dog either, but we did hit the car. And so then I remember getting home and my dad says, Son, now, you know, when you're a kid and your parent addresses you with a, that and not your name, you just know nothing good's coming after that. It's not. You've entered that place where you've transgressed against a father and you're now subject to discipline and a taskmaster. You've been deemed to need a babysitter when you're out on the street. You hear what I'm saying there? So what was our excuse? Well, we didn't mean to hit the car, Dad. Didn't matter, right? Purpose matters. Our purpose matters in everything that we do. It colors things. If we do something that hurts someone and we truly didn't mean to hurt someone, then it's okay to say, I didn't mean to hurt you. If we do mean to hurt someone, we need to own that and give them a chance to forgive us, right? Everybody agree? That's being a grown-up. See, a lot of grown-ups act like two-year-olds. They haven't learned that yet. But that's an important life lesson. This is the life lesson we're receiving today. When we were being sinful, when we were intentionally not following after God, when we were intentionally laying down our desire for God for a desire for something else, when we were intentionally turning away from how God has taught us to live, to live in other ways, we were intentionally hurting God. Intentionally hurting ourselves and intentionally hurting others because we want what we want, some people have said. 
I can't control what the heart wants. And so the Bible has warned us that the heart is a deceiver. And that's the human condition. And that's why Paul says Jesus was sent. I wonder if you heard that word. He says this, But when the time had fully come, if you want to know what that looks like, think about a pregnant woman waddling into Piedmont to have a baby. That's what that looks like. When time was fully pregnant, when the moment was at hand, when it could wait no longer, Paul says, God sent His Son. He doesn't say God created His Son. He doesn't say God dreamed up a son. God made a son at His baptism. It says God sent. Suggesting to us that the Son was present with God before He came. And then He says that He sent that Son born of a woman. A person who would have a human nature and a divine nature. A person who could come and be like us. Born into our flesh and subject to the same law that creates guilt in us. For the purpose of delivering us from that guilt and that law. From wrestling us away from sin and death. No accident. God meant it. God was not some little boy who accidentally hit his target with a rock. God intentionally sent his son to be born in our likeness, to die our death, and to be raised to new life so that we too can be raised to new life. God did this on purpose. And that matters. For this reason. So that we could receive adoption as God's own children. As God's own sons and daughters. To truly finally come into the family. To no longer be little children who have no rights, but to be heirs of the kingdom of God. Children. Loved by a father. And so Paul reminds us, you now know God because of Jesus. Because God sent God's own Son, we now know and love and enjoy God. And that, dear ones, is the greatest gift. And it is truly and utterly given freely and on purpose. Take that to heart. All you have to do is receive it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.